And God's people began to hear these plots. Now think about your own lives. Think about when people are plotting, when people are planning harm, you know, against you. How does that make you feel? You know, one, anxious, stressed, worried, you know, fearful. And that's very much what they were, they were encountering. They were encountering lots of fear. Another thing, part of the opposition was just ambush. There was this threat of ambush in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, when, when word came to Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gate, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. Nehemiah realized, God showed him that this was, you know, this was not good, this was an ambush. Made it sound like the, the enemies wanted to, you know, chat and maybe form a peace treaty, but they were wanting to take him out. So there was this threat and of ambush. There was also just lies being spread about him. I'm not going to look at that passage, but there's lies in chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And, and again, Nehemiah has to defend his honor and his reputation. And then you have traps in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 10. There's this trap being set for him. I'll read this to you just because I think it's really interesting. It says, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. So this, this guy who was really an insider, he was almost, um, you know, would have been considered a brother in a sense to Nehemiah was saying, hey, because of all these threats and everything that people are planning to attack us, why don't you as our leader go hide in the temple? And and they're not going to find you in there. Go hide in the holiest place in the temple because they won't go looking for that. But Nehemiah recognized this was was really a trap to defame his character, to to destroy his reputation because God's, um, you know, Nehemiah was not allowed to go in the temple. He if he had done this, he would have rushed in and he would have broken some laws, basically, some religious laws. And so he, he recognized, man, this guy is, is setting up a trap for me. There was just all of this opposition coming from the outside, and it was continual. If you read chapters 4 through 6, you'll just see the continual opposition that they experienced. Not only did they experience this opposition from the outside, but they also experienced infection from within. The people that Nehemiah were trying to lead were infected. There was things going wrong and they were beginning to be divided. Just like in that clip that you saw where the king says, there is no middle ground, you know, stand with us or against us, but, you know, you can't play, you can't ride the fence. The people in Nehemiah's day that he was trying to lead were doing this. They were struggling to to pick a side and to pick who they really wanted to follow. And three things cropped up in chapter 5. There's selfishness, there's arrogance, and there's harm. And we've looked at these three words in detail at different times, but just, this just means any time we want what we want, and we think we deserve to get what we want, and we're willing to actually do harm towards others to get what we want. And all of us do this, every single one of us. We lock onto a goal that we really want, and then we just decide, you know, I'm more important than other people, and so I'm going to go after that goal, even if it hurts the people in my life, my family, my friends. That's what happened in, in Nehemiah chapter 5. God's people were beginning to be divided because as, as there was a famine in the land and there was just some different things, verses 1 through 5 really captures the struggle 
Um, but just to sum it up, there wasn't enough food to go around, and so people were having to sell off their properties and mortgage their properties to the more wealthy Israelites. And not only that, they were having to enslave some of their own people to other Israelites. And so Nehemiah confronts them and says, you guys are infected from within. You're dividing yourselves. He said, we, we just got out of slavery that we had been under in, in Persia. We're being, we're being allowed to go back to our land and now you're enslaving yourselves to each other again. And it was because they were being selfish. God's people were choosing to take care of themselves rather than looking at the whole. And so there was just these serious problems that were going on. And I want to mainly look at the response and then talk about what we can learn from that. Here's how they responded. First, in prayer. This was a constant theme of this book. In response to all their mocking, look at verse 4 and 5 of chapter 4. It says, when, you know, when there was these threats made, here's how Nehemiah responded. He says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as a plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. You know, they were, they, rather than lashing back when people mocked at him, he prayed to God. He said, God, would you protect our reputation? Would you, dis, would you take care of the enemy for us? And in response to just their plotting of harm you have in verse 9, um, there was these plots forming. And then verse 9 it says, But we prayed to our God, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So they, they, they began to pray, but they, they also began to form a plan to, to protect themselves. And you just see this again. Over and over and over. Rather than giving into worry and fear, which is the normal response to threats and harm on us, um, Nehemiah chose faith. And that he prayed. That was his response. He just continued to lead his people to prayer. The opposite of, uh, of faith is fear. And I read recently that fear is the enemy of faith. That's, I found that really interesting. Fear is the enemy of faith. Yeah. They're, they're opposed to each other. And so Nehemiah was choosing to continue to turn his heart and his attention to God. In response to the lies, same thing. In chapter 6, verse 9, says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Again, just continue to pray. And then Nehemiah does something very interesting. He begins to prepare for battle. And... <clears throat> Look at Nehemiah 4, 16-18. So he began to pray, and then he decides, we need to prepare to battle the enemy here. Chapter 4 says this, From that day on, half of my men did the work, so they were rebuilding the wall, while the other half were equipped with spears, with shields, with bows and armor. And the officers, they posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were, who were building the wall. Those who carried medals did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So it's a really amazing picture here. You know, some of the men were just stationed as guards. Some were workers. But some, all, in a sense, had a tool in one hand and a weapon in another hand. You know, they were prepared for battle as they're working to rebuild this wall. And there was a trumpeter following Nehemiah around. And as the work progressed... God's people were spread out around this 
giant wall, like a mile and a half long. And the plan was, if you hear the trumpet sound, you see this in verse 19 and 20, if you hear the trumpet sound, everybody from, every, from wherever you're at, drop your stuff and come and fight. Because that's what we're, you know, we're going to, God will have the victory for us. And so they responded by being prepared. The other thing is, they responded with wholehearted devotion. They decided to just stay focused and stay committed on the wall. Verses 21 through 23 really captures this. It says, So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us guards by night and workmen by day. And then it says, Neither I... Now look at this commitment from their leader. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So they, they really didn't look at it as, oh, I'm clocking off for the day, I'm, or I'm clocking out for the day, and I'm, I'm done, we'll let someone else. They were wholeheartedly devoted to rebuilding the wall. They, you know, they created a second shift. Nehemiah himself, he stayed on the job. He himself was alert at all times, knowing that the enemy could attack. And the story goes, and in chapter 6 we learn, despite all the challenges, the wall was completed. In 52 days, Nehemiah led God's people to complete this wall. And modern archaeologists believe it was about a mile and a half long. And that was a significant task. But this was thousands of people working on this project together. And it just goes to show that what people can do if they'll work together. They decide, you know, we'll commit to something together. We can get a whole lot more accomplished because there was protection involved. They were making progress together. This is really a, a powerful picture of how a church is to function, how a church is to work. So here, here's what we can take away from this story. Because we still deal with opposition from the outside, and we also deal with infection from within. Infection is stuff that grows on the inside of us that if we don't do anything about, it gets worse, it gets more severe, the rest of our bodies get infected. You know, if you've ever gotten a splinter and you think, oh, I got it out, but you don't get it out, you know how much pain it is if it becomes infected. You know, and then you've got to... It, the same thing goes on in church life. Inside the church life, among members, among people who've banded together, there's real opportunity for infection from within. And so we have to guard ourselves against infection. Also, there's opposing forces attacking God's people as a whole and individually. And so I want to look at this dynamic. And I have two things here I wanted to use, two illustrations. There's this, there was a, uh, a pastor in, in England. His name is um, Charles Spurgeon. And he was kind of the mega church pastor um, back in the day, in the 1800s in London. And he preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle where it was said that he had over 14,000 members. Okay? And he founded this church and he preached there in, as his, that was his ministry. But they had a magazine, a church magazine, and the, the title of the church magazine, their, their monthly review was The Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel. And it was a picture of the fact that the church, they battle and they build together. And this, this comes out of Nehemiah. Not just in Nehemiah you see this, but you, you, you know, you see this throughout the Bible, just the picture of the God's people battling together 
battling the enemy, battling opposing forces, and then working together to accomplish some things. And, and it's important for us to understand that that battle still takes place among us. We need to be aware of the fact that there are still there's still opposition. So, set these things aside. But who do we battle? First, we battle against the enemy. Um, we have to take a stand. How do we do that? We take a stand against the enemy. Um, you may not believe you've got an enemy like Nehemiah. You know, he had these people that were threatening him. Um, but the truth is, if you've already decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then you, you have a very real enemy. Satan is a spirit being. Um, the Bible, um, you know, is very clear that he's God's enemy. And if you've decided to follow Christ, now he's your enemy as well. Um, he's, he's real. He's not just a figment of our imagination with, you know, the pitchfork and the horns. But he's a real spirit being. He's the head over the demonic world. The scripture talks about how he, he's an angel who, who fell from heaven. And he, along with him, he carried angels to, to deceive the nations, to deceive the world, to turn people against God who would follow himself, Satan. Because Satan, he rose himself up. He tried to put himself um, on level with God out of pride. And that's what took him down. But he, he is your enemy. And it's very important to, to recognize that, that the Scripture is very clear about his, his, his enemies to take us out. Or his efforts to take us out. Here's some things about him. Um, first, he's not all-powerful like God. Satan's not all-powerful, but he has great power. He's limited, though, in his power. God has limited his abilities. Um, you read about this in the book of Job. Um, he's, um, he's not omniscient like God. You know, He doesn't know everything, but he's of great knowledge. He's not omnipresent like God. So he's localized in the sense he's, he's not able to be everywhere at once like God is. But he has this giant network of demonic forces, of demons, um, that are able to work work out his plans, to carry out his plans. Just like God has angels that carry out his plans and protect. And you know, the scripture talks about the same, that the enemy has his, his plans. He's working them out. He works them through his demonic forces. And so we face very real and constant opposition. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, Be self-controlled and alert. This is in the New Testament. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, we sometimes read this passage and we, we leave with the view that if we're not careful, um, you know, if we do bad things, then the devil will do bad things to us and, you know, he might ruin our day or every bad thing we blame on the devil. And, you know, we kind of minimize the, the efforts of Satan. And, but the scripture is very clear that he is a he prowls around like a roaring lion. If we truly understand lions, then we should have a very very different picture of just a, a, a devil who who just sets little traps that we might stub our toe on. Because lions they do not let up. They do not let up until they devour their prey. And I was reading a story about this, and I mean I'm sure you've watched footage on Discovery Channel or different things about. Lions, but they they are aggressive, and again, you can't just like a kitty cat, you know, you know, trick them. 
they go after us and, and they want to take us out. The enemy, he has that same goal in mind. He's trying to, he's trying to disqualify us. He's trying to take us out of the picture. If you're trying to do you know, God's work or just live for God, then he wants to ruin that. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 6. You really see the warfare that we deal with in Ephesians 6.10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Notice our fight with the enemy, our strength does not come from within. Our strength comes from God. Scripture says put on the full armor of God. It talks about using His power, not our own. Take your stand against the devil. Be strong in the Lord. Use His mighty power. You know, the best things you could try to throw at the enemy's attack, you know, will will be whooped. Because Scripture is clear that the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. That's in 1 Corinthians. Our, our, you know, our strongest day, our best efforts are, are, are nothing in comparison to even God's weakness. So we need to tap into His mighty power. And He gives us spiritual weapons to use. Ephesians 6, 14-18 talks about these weapons. And what I want to do is look briefly at these weapons. We don't have them in your outline, but just to highlight what these are. I think sometimes you hear these, the list of the spiritual weapons that He has given to us, but we don't exactly know what that means or how to use those. So real briefly, here's the list of the weapons in, in 14-18. through It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. This is when we just tighten up on the truth. We tighten up on the truth. We speak the truth, we think the truth, and we do the truth. According to what God says is true in the Scriptures, we tighten up on those things on a regular basis. That's, that's how you use that weapon. The next weapon is the breastplate of righteousness. What this is, is when we count on God's righteousness to save us and not our own efforts, not our own good works. Scripture is clear that our good works are not enough to save us. We need God who has done the perfect work to save us. So we're placing our hope in the righteousness of Christ. Um, also, just building patterns of righteousness in our own lives and avoiding thin ice situations. We all have them. Every single one of us has thin ice. Areas that would take us and move us out of righteousness. Things that would be pleasing to God. And so we have to avoid those thin ice situations and keep, you know, just keep trusting in His righteousness and, and choosing righteousness. Another thing it says is the shoes of peace, to, to put on the shoes of peace. What that, what that implies is to be at peace with people, to forgive, to be at peace, and also to be ready to share the gospel. It says, you know, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Um, sometimes we're, we're tempted. Sometimes there's just situations where God wants us to share the gospel with someone. And that is, that's the way to battle the temptation is to share the gospel. It's to share what he's done in your own life. To share your testimony. That's, that's a way to battle the enemy. Another thing is the shield of faith. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
What this is, is declaring that God will not rip you off in life. When fear sets in, when attacks come, when threats come, when opposition comes, it's choosing to believe God at His Word. Take Him at His Word and just declare, God will not rip me off. I'm going to trust You, God, with this decision I've made. I'm going to trust You with the choices that I believe You've, you've said as you know, you've said, you've told me to do. And even though it seems like I'm going to get ripped off here, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be taken advantage of God. I, I, I'm taking the shield of faith. I'm choosing to trust you that you won't rip me off. Another thing is the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation, it says. The helmet of salvation is just nailing down that you are actually saved. Nailing down that you have become a Christian. One, that you understand what it means to be a Christian and that you've actually decided to, to receive that, to follow Christ. <clears throat> I find many, many people really aren't sure about this. And, and honestly, that's, that's okay to be unsure because God, I think the uncertainty ought to drive us to find out and to nail that down. And so I'd encourage you, if you've never nailed that down, on our welcome card there's a little box that says, I'd like to learn how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Check that box and then let us share with you how to nail down your salvation. Because when the enemy comes to attack, oftentimes he works on this area. You're not really saved. How could you still make those mistakes? How could you make those decisions? You know, that, you're not one of God's children. This is just, again, when you're, just, you're declaring, you know what, I have decided to follow Christ. I, I still struggle with areas. I still make mistakes. Again, again, you're relying on that righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then the sword of the Spirit. This is a rebuke. This is when you just rebuke the enemy's attacks with the Bible. You, you take what you've learned and what you've... Hopefully, over time, you've begun to, to store in your heart and in your mind, and you, you speak that into the situation when you're tempted. So, rebuking the attacks of the enemy, verbally replying to um, temptation, to just to different attacks with the Scripture. Um, this is what Jesus did in His temptations. This is what Nehemiah did in the story. was when people were telling lies, He spoke the truth in the situation. He rebuked the enemy. <clears throat> so the key to this is Scripture memory. If you've never begun to memorize any Scripture, what I'd encourage is, is that you take your top three or four struggles in life, those topics, and then begin to, to take a verse or two for each, and begin to memorize those verses. And then when the temptation comes up, is to, to, say, that, to say that verse, to battle that temptation. What, what that does for me is it helps me back down. It helps me um, get perspective on what's really true. Because temptation, when we cave into a temptation, what it is is we bought into a lie. We believed a lie and then we've, we've followed it. And so the truth is important when we're being tempted. And then last, pray in the Spirit. Scripture says pray on all occasions in the Spirit. And so, again, just pray in line with what God wants. Listen to His voice as you're praying and then pray in line with what, with what He desires. The goal with all of this, using these weapons, is this. It says, after you have done everything, to stand. Because the enemy will continue to attack us. He'll continue to, to go after us, to try to disqualify us. And so the goal for a Christian is to continue to just stand, to battle him and to be standing whenever, when everything is done, to remain standing, to not be disqualified or taken out. This is not a passive battle. According to the Scriptures, this is all-out warfare. This is hand-to-hand combat. 
Two other areas that, that really um, we deal with as far as real problems is division and disloyalty. Division is, uh, we need to deal aggressively with division, according to the scriptures. This is one of the key tools that the enemy uses to attack the church as a whole. You know, some of the things I talked about as far as temptation, that's going after you as individuals, me as an individual. But division and disloyalty, it's an attack on the church. It's an attack on the organization and our unity. And so, Scripture says you have to deal aggressively with it. Both of these are are dangerous to get involved in. And here's what the Scripture says in Titus 3.10. It says, Warn a divisive person once, then a second time warn him. After that, have nothing to do with him. The Scripture is very clear here. When, when we begin to divide, when we get involved in divisive things, gossip that begins to divide or trying to pull people along in a division, um, then church leaders, church members are to, to confront, are to say, hey, you know, you need to stop that. You're, you're trying to threaten the unity of God's church. And, and that's a serious issue. And so we're to not just, you know, consider, oh, everywhere in every organization there's problems, there's division, and so we're just like everyone else. Scripture says that the church has to guard against this. Um, one thing that, to just keep an eye on is, what, a good question is, what direction are we going in as a church? If the church is going in a certain direction, if, we're, if we have stated values, if we said we're going to focus on something, we're all moving together, and then, um, and then someone decides, you know what, I don't want to go with the direction of the leadership and the church as a whole, I, I just rather... I want to. I think we need to go this way instead of that way, and um, over time begins to 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 win others. That's division. And the scripture is very clear about that. Again, you just you were to warn each other on this area, because this again is a subtle attack of the enemy. It's kind of under the current. Um, repeated division calls for removal in the in the scriptures. You'll find this in the New Testament. You know, so you just want to. This is something we guard against both uh, individually and um, as a whole. We just pay attention to the way this, this, this plays out. Another thing is we confront disloyalty. Very similar. Um, <clears throat> this is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24-26. It says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. This is talking about spiritual leaders. It says, instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. This is a very, very interesting passage here, because it's saying spiritual leaders are to... to this, is, this is a letter to a church leader about how to lead and instruct other leaders to lead the church. And then he's saying, there's times when you have to oppose and gently instruct those who become disloyal because they need to come to their senses. In, in one way, they have um, lost perspective. It's easy for us to lose perspective and to give in to the lies, the traps of the devil. The verse says, who has taken them captive to do his will. This is instructions for the church. Within the church, this isn't something that happens just outside the church, but you know, the enemy goes after and he begins to pick people off from within the church who will become disloyal and create division. And so 
spiritual leaders are to confront disloyalty. Um, you as a church, together, we confront disloyalty. Um, we have certain responsibilities in this area. Um, this isn't just the job of the pastor, but it's something that you can pay attention to if you ever notice. Um, disloyalty is a process. It's a subtle process that, that is, it's, it grows out of pride, but we ordinarily don't see this coming. I read a book on this recently. Well, I, I read it years ago, but I reviewed it recently. But there's this process that we go through. Is it, it starts with an independent spirit. We just we have an independent spirit. It moves to we're offended, and then we get passive. Then we get critical. Then we start gathering others. We get political. Then we're then we're deceived, and that's what this is talking about. The devil he he works to deceive us, and he begins to use us to carry out his plans, and then we rebel, and that, that just creates real real problems for us if we choose that route, and then for the church it creates disunity. So. These are some serious areas that we have to guard against. And so the battling that we do is not just, you know, uh, like that's a toy sword, you know. But it's not a toy game. You know, it's not a toy. The battling is very real because people's lives are involved. Also, we need to be building. There's battling and there's building. Just really quickly and then we'll wrap up. There's these four hard attitudes. We as a church rally around... um, a set of values we call the heart attitudes. There's seven of them. But the first four, what they are, is they are values, New Testament values that protect our unity. They protect us as we work together and move in unity and unison together to carry out God's plans. These are like guardrails that keep our relationships moving forward. We introduce these things in our small groups. So if you're a part of a small group, you'll recognize these. Um, But here they are. Heart attitude number one is Put the goals and interests of others above my own. Put the goals and interests of others above my own. This grows out of the command in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the command. You know, we, we're to not just look at our own needs and interests and goals, but we're to look to the needs of others. That builds unity. That builds and strengthens us as a body. First Peter 4.8, look at this. It says, above all, love each other deeply. Again, this protects against infection. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. A deep love will protect so that minor hurts will not destroy the relationship. You know, if you'll have a deep love with people, then when little problems when minor hurts come up you're you're willing to forgive so it's important that we put the goals and interests of others ahead of our own secondly heart attitude number two is live an honest and open life before others <clears throat> ephesians 4 25 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we are all members of one body we belong to each other therefore we're not to 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 play games in our relationships we don't play games We don't wear masks. It's easy to walk around and wear a mask and pretend like everything's okay in my life and and everything's not okay in our lives. And then over time we get resentful and we get irritated at people because we wonder, why are they not caring about me? Why, Why aren't they meeting my needs? The real reason is because if we're wearing a mask, if we're hiding the the real me, then nobody knows how to take care of the real 
the real you. So the scripture says, therefore, we must put off falsehood. That means take off the mask and just to be truthful about who we really are, that people really genuinely know the real me. The third heart attitude is give and receive scriptural correction. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin has a way of deceiving us. We're deceived very easily, and then over time we harden our heart against the things of God. And so on a regular basis, we need to be involved in each other's life, encouraging each other, challenging each other, speaking the truth into each other's life. If you see something in my life that you, you know is not pleasing to God, then to come to me and say, in love, you know, Josh, I see this, and that's going to do real damage to your family. That's going to do real damage to your future. It's me being willing to receive that, and at the same time, me being willing to give that. That's, that's this hard attitude. Just uh, this week, one of our community group leaders, he's the leader of a community group. Um, he gave me permission, again, to speak into his life. He didn't have an area in particular, but he said, you know, Josh, if you see something in my life that, that's displeasing to God or just that I need to work on, would you, would you bring that to my attention? Because he's leading a group of people and he's paying attention to the people in his group. And so it's easy when you're in that role as a leader to not have anybody checking in on you. And so he, he just said, you know, I know I've given you permission in the past, but once again, please tell me the truth about my life. Please be honest with me about if you see some things. That's what this hard attitude is all about. It's kind of like bad medicine that we don't like to drink, correction, but it's so, so critical for growing and staying together. The last hard attitude is clear up relationships. Keep things clear. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If you're at church and you recognize, you know, you're singing the songs, you look over and you see somebody that you know is mad at you, or you know you're mad at them. The scripture says, stop, it's stop singing. In a sense, leave your gift. That's stop singing. Go straighten that relationship out. We shouldn't harbor bad relationships with people. So these are four things that God uses for us to build together. These allow us to build and to be unified I've covered a lot of ground this morning. I realize this is a little longer than, than usual, but um, such an important message. And the, the passage in Nehemiah, you see all these dynamics at work, and I wanted to really flesh it out and lay over the New Testament as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes up. Father, thank you for your word. Again, thank you for the story of Nehemiah, just the things that we're learning from it. God, look forward to just um, continuing on to talk more about your plans and how we can learn and grow as we see some of the struggles that they faced as they finished building the wall. and God, there was continuing struggles on the inside. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help guard us, Lord. You'd protect us. Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to protect us from division, to protect us from disloyalty, disunity. God, we also just pray you'd bind the enemy from attacking us individually, us as a whole. Lord, we, we, we know that... Um, this this is not an an if um, thing, but it's a when thing because attacks will come. And so, Lord, help us to be prepared to do battle, prepared to stand our ground, not not on our own power or using our own strength, but trusting in you and using the weapons that you've given to us to do battle. God, we thank you for your word and your love, and we ask that you just continue to to work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>